and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, today's journey takes us into the realm of inclusive leadership, a topic that, just like many we've covered on the podcast, I approach as a middle-aged, privileged male with both enthusiasm but a touch of awkwardness. Now, in a world where inclusivity in the workplace certainly feels like it's being talked about more and is potentially more critical than ever, we still find ourselves having to face into some hard truths. Now, one such truth is, well, to me at least, a frankly alarming statistic, and that stat was 53% of UK males think that gender equality has gone too far. Now, this sentiment not only highlights the challenges we face, but also underscores, I think, the importance of today's discussion. I think we're incredibly fortunate to have Daniele Fiendaka from Token Man with us today. And Token Man is an organization focused on enhancing understanding and promoting inclusivity in the workplace. So who better to help us explore the essence of inclusive leadership? What does it really take to be an inclusive leader in today's rapidly evolving workplace? How can leaders create environments that not only acknowledge diversity, but celebrate and integrate it into the very fabric of their organisation. But I know we'll also tackle some other tough questions too. You know, in what ways are we as leaders falling short and what can we do to improve that? And amongst all of that, what does the future of something like allyship look like? How can we, especially those of us who come from positions of privilege, whether you're conscious of that or not, can become better allies in this ongoing journey towards true inclusivity. And look, before we get stuck into today's episode, I just want to say that as I navigate these conversations, I do so fully aware that I'm still learning and growing myself. And you know what? I think that's okay. Because the path to understanding isn't always straight or easy but I do believe it's a path worth taking. So please bear with me. Anyway, enough of that. Let's begin this conversation, and hopefully by the end of it, we'll all have gained a deeper understanding of what it means to lead inclusively in today's world. Welcome to the show, Danielli. Thank you so much. And Andy, it's just worth saying, I really appreciate you talking about learning and growing, but I've been in this space for 10 years, and I'm still learning and growing. So, (laughs) you know, and actually, funny enough, uh, I, I know leaders, that the more conscious they've got, the less confidence they have. So actually, as you start to really understand what you don't know, actually you have less confidence in what you do know. Isn't that interesting? Listen, my friend, Token Man 
and what you've what you've been doing what you continue to do before we get into the meat and bones of today's conversation just just do us a favor my friend give us a bit of a decent background about you where you've come from and where token man is playing right now so i was born in edgeware hospital in 1972 <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm joking so uh, so my background is I'm actually uh, a qualified chartered accountant. Not many people know that. I don't really go. talk about it. Uh, I moved into advertising about four and a half years into my career. And it's really, uh, and I think we talked about it. There was, there was two moments in my, that completely changed my life, which is a volcano, an Icelandic volcano. We won't, we won't talk about that today. <laughs> but I think, but what was a dinner that I organized when I was in advertising? So I organized a dinner um over 10 years ago for 12 women because I used to run a club for creative directors from around the world. So we had 450 members at the height uh, of that club. We had about 26% female members within that. And that was over representative of the industry. So the industry famously 10 years ago only had 13% of female creative directors. And it has improved, but not markedly, not, not enough. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. So I organized this dinner to recruit more women because I really felt it. We did events every six months in different cities around the world. And I felt it. They were very bantery, very laddish. And I could see how difficult it would be for a woman who didn't necessarily fit within that um, within that framework. Mm. So I organized a dinner for 10 women, turned up and... Something happened to me that hadn't happened to me before in my career, which is I lost my, lost my confidence. Okay. And, f- and for any of my friends that know me well, they'll say that's not possible, but it really, <laughs> it, it really did happen. Um, is you know the minute I, I and and as we sat down for dinner, uh, and it wasn't a surprise that there was twelve women because I organised it. Yeah, but it, what was a surprise was that loss of confidence when I sat down for dinner. Conversations happening around me seemed to push me further out. And then when I got up to to introduced the dinner my co-host uh who was a woman cut me off um and these are all things that i'd heard women talking about experiencing either in board on board at board level or in the senior leadership teams and it wasn't that i didn't believe them it was partly i had no idea of the extent of the impact but secondly i whatever they were saying i didn't think i was a person contributing to it i thought i was a good person yeah, uh, and it's really interesting. I had uh, Susie Levy, who's written a brilliant book called uh, "I've Got it on My Desk: Mind the Inclusion Gap," uh, and oh, right. she actually, and she actually says what what people mistake often they think inclusiveness equal is niceness. <laughs> that if you're nice, that makes you inclusive. That's just not true. It's yeah. the you know the minute you think that's the case, you're 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 already lost, and you're 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 not going to be inclusive. Um, and so coming coming away from that experience, I was horrified. And I, I'm a hacker. Um, I've written three books, uh, co-written three books, co-edited three books. My latest one is Creative Superpowers. Mm. Uh, I haven't I haven't actually written anything in the IND space yet, but uh, actually I use a lot of those superpowers. So they're hacker, teacher, maker, and thief. And I curated the hacker section. So I'm a hacker. I like solving problems. And and what was clear to me at that point was that not only were men not being brought into inclusion diversity and and the gender equity discussion but often they weren't welcome in that conversation and what we know from history is that no minority in history has ever affected change without the support of the majority so i'm a hacker and i just thought there had to be a better way of doing this so i co-founded token man um 
10 years ago, uh, just under 10 years ago with three women. Uh, and it very much was, and it still is, a initiative to engage men with uh, inclusion, equity and diversity and ultimately help them, support them and inspire them to become better allies and agents of change. Yeah. Um, and, you know, try, I'll keep this story really short. Uh, five, uh, six years ago, I woke up one morning. I had no income the next month uh, because I just... Token Man was taking out so much of my time, so I had to pivot my career. I started a culture change business with Nadia Powell uh, called Utopia. We were very lucky. We won uh, Inclusive Companies Consultants of the Year within two years. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, and then uh, a year and a half ago, I left Utopia to start Token Man Consulting. So Token Man, it was an obvious step for me to actually take the work I was doing at a Token Man level and actually do do work where actually I think I wear two hats fundamentally. Token Man is me creating change for free. I do that for fifty percent of my time, and then Token Man Consulting is creating change, but I get paid for it. Yes, uh, and yeah, and that's the ecosystem I'm trying to build. You know, don't get me wrong; in this environment, it's not the easiest thing to do. Simply no, because sir. we know that uh, uh, you know the market hasn't woken up, the DEI industry hasn't woken up to the need to engage men. It, it's uh, when I say it, it sounds ridiculous, <laughs> uh, and to a certain extent, it is ridiculous because. But I understand where it's come from because a lot of the work that's been done to date, which has been fantastic work, has been about supporting those people who have been excluded. What we now need to do is really start flipping that to actually going, okay, how do we get those that have been included to really understand this problem and create systemic change so that those people that have stopped, actually stop being excluded. That's the most important thing. We want to create truly inclusive cultures. And, you know, what's interesting for me, which comes onto this topic, and then I'll get you to ask, ask the question. This is good. But what's, what's interesting to me is I've worked with nearly 50 businesses on building their uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. Uh, not a single business has not had inclusive leadership as one of their pillars. So inclusive leadership, if I was going to say what's the most important thing for actually creating an inclusive, equitable and diverse business is to have inclusive leaders across that business. Yeah, which sounds like a ridiculously obvious statement to your point. Right, but we have a we have a phrase that I bore people to death with on this podcast that common sense is very often not common practice, right? And so, so I think I love you said that one of my mentors. I did say to one of my mentors, Patrick Collister. I sat down with him about six years ago, and I said to him, "One day, I think I'm going to get found out." Now that old that old imposter syndrome, yeah. because I believe everything I do is common sense. And he said, "Danielle, the one thing I've learned in my life is that common sense isn't very common." It's so true. I have said at the intro of this conversation that I often feel awkward talking about topics such as this. We've tackled DEI on a number of occasions on the podcast from different perspectives, which is why I think today is fascinating because we're looking at yet another different perspective. But I'm sort of right in, in thinking that whilst you've got token man, the agenda is inclusivity. So the the work you do, it's not exclusively about men. It's got to transcend everybody in the organisation, right? Hundred percent. So I do. I do my work. If I take my token man consulting work, it's split into two. So the mm. senior inclusive leadership work I do is with everyone. 
So it tends to be most of my programs tend to be for a senior inclusive for a senior management team. So that is working for everyone, which is why. And I've made the mistake. Uh, I've made the mistake when I first started. I tried to do something on my own and it didn't work. Uh, it was the first time I actually didn't the product the program didn't finish because it just didn't connect. Yeah. in the way it should have. Uh, I learned from that mistake even before I started, before that happened, to be honest, in the sense that every program since I have been partnered with a woman on every single inclusive leadership program I deliver, irrespective of of the makeup of the team. Mm. So I think having that, that, having that, those different perspectives, and obviously any other diversity uh, intersection, intersections I can bring into it even better. So, you know, sometimes we will bring in a combination of teams. When we when we look at the panels we bring into that space, we will make sure that different diversity characteristics are represented. And then half my work is with men, and so that that is recognizing that actually. Um, having that kind of brave space for men to talk openly to make mistakes. So I said, I said I've uh, I've written three books, but I've also contributed quite heavily to another book. Uh, in that, it was kind of taken from my eye. It wasn't even it wasn't even my idea. I mean, I don't have. There's no such thing as an original idea. Uh, one of my best friends, Mark Earls, you know, wrote wrote the book. Copy, copy, copy. Um, but it was something I heard. I'm very good at. I, I am very good at curating. So it was a question I heard at an event, which was what what was the best piece of advice you were ever given uh, and so we ended up uh, putting together a book um, I did it with Louisa St-Pierre and my best piece of advice I'd ever been given was it's better to be interesting and wrong than right and boring wow the challenge you have as I've come into this space I've understood I need to temper that advice because sometimes being wrong can be harmful to people in the room uh, but also what we have created, we've created an environment where I would say if, if I, I think it's probably the biggest barrier to men going on the journey that I think they need to go on to become better allies and agents of change, which is many men are scared to say anything. I reckon, and I think we'll get into that in this conversation today. I, I want to try and quote you from a previous conversation we had. So hold me to account if I get it wrong. I'm known for absolutely nausing up quotes. But I think you said to me, if men are excluded from the equity conversation, how can we expect real change? Because yeah. I think that sums up the sort of conversation we're looking to have today. Have I got, firstly... Have I quoted you correctly? I think I quite like it. Uh, you make me. I think. I think. The, I think the the the, the uh, and where that leads to, so that people can understand, is what's happened is is inclusion, equity, and diversity. And again, it's probably worth me just. And I said it before. I don't ever really say it. But I did say diversity first. I don't usually say that anymore. Okay. And, and so even my language, everything I do, I try and. I try and be mindful and thoughtful of. And that's that's there's no doubt that that's part of inclusive leadership. Yeah. And the reason I do that is because I know from personally from my own experience, but we also know from science that if you say two or three words to someone, they only really hear the first word. So if I say diverse, inclusive, and e equitable, and I'm a white straight man, and all, I'm all all I'm hearing is diverse. Yeah. And I'm immediately thinking, well, that's not for me. Mm. So I've lost them. If I'm saying inclusive, hmm. I'm still included within that. So for me, I, for me, that's that's really important. But I think what's happened is if we look at uh, inclusion, equity, and diversity, is most of the messages. And I, again, I, you know, we've got men are intersectional, right? If you're sitting, if you're, if you're, if you're 
a black disabled man, you know what exclusion is. You feel right. it every day. You'll be getting microaggressions. You know, white, uh, someone from a, a, social, a lower social uh, economic demographic and white, you'll understand what exclusion is. So so I'm I'm talking a lot of the work that I do, let's be really honest. So I'm doing senior leadership work a lot of the time on mm. people that look like me and had experience, which are white, straight men. And so what, the, what they hear from the head of... Um, head of inclusion diversity what they'll hear is men it's your jobs to be allies okay right now i can't tell you how many men i know are struggling mm. with life full stop and if you're sitting there and you had no point of ever shown me that inclusion equity and diversity actually helps you it's no surprise that you think actually it's the enemy and it's now discriminating against you mm. So what we have to do, and that's why I talked about that kind of uh, that equity bit, mm. is what we have to do is recognise that everyone needs support. Yeah, everyone needs support. You cannot pour from an empty cup. Yeah, everyone needs support. But the reason we bring equity in it is to recognise that actually some people need far more support than others. Mm. Okay, so. But right now, what's happening is men aren't being given, in most organisations, many men who are white, straight, and therefore don't come within the intersections that are give, being given that extra support, they're not being supported. And so what we have to do is, you know, the frameworks I work with clients is very much a third support, a third inspire, and a third recruit. So if you've got a third of the people that are ready to be recruited, you're in a good place. Yeah. Uh, generally... Our data, that third is about right, actually. We've done quite we've done quite a lot of research. And actually, funny enough, if we look at that question, how many of your men are true allies in the workplace, it tends to come out at 40%. So that 40% is actually recurrent. It keeps on coming back. So that which is about that third. You know, so 40% you're ready to recruit. But the others either aren't even ready to think about this because they're struggling so much and they need help. Or they're sitting in that camp of going, do you know what? I know I need to lean in, but I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I don't have the skills. Uh, I don't know what – I hate being uncomfortable. I, I, there's no way I'm going to be vulnerable. You know, I'm, And I'm talking about some of the things now that you need to be inclusive. Yeah. Uh, uh, please tell me what to do. And, and obviously, you can't tell people what to do because otherwise they're not going to understand it. It's not no. going to be authentic. And also, allyship is challenging because how I'm an ally to every single person – will be different. Yeah. Well, look, there's two main themes in there that let's let's separate them and um, have a chat about them. You know, I, I was absolutely shocked when you shared that stat with me originally that the 52% of UK males feel that it's all gone a bit too far. And then for me, the sort of sub fact that you ended up sharing with me, so we started to get into a conversation about different generations. And I, and I think you sort of said, yeah, but the number goes to 52%, Andy, for Gen Zs. Yeah. And, and, I was that's like, men, and that's men and women. Yeah. I mean, that. And non binary. Let's put, sorry, let me be really clear because a which, lot of that sense would be non binary. Which really threw me, I'll be honest. But with that, with that context and thinking about well, you've, you've, you've got to be inside the circle to have a conversation to help make change, right? You mentioned started to talk about i guess skills that are involved with inclusive leadership the skills that you think are re required let's talk about those so from your perspective what are those skills that we all need to build develop be more conscious of 
the first one I which I don't actually we don't I, I don't think it's listed as an, an inclusive leadership skill but I, but I think it's the one that I would put first which is listening mm. Um, mm. listening to those around you uh, I trained to become a coach uh, a year and a half ago and it's probably the best thing I I have done um, I was always accused of not listening always my whole lead so listen let's be clear i'm not coming to this from 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 having everyone telling me what an inclusive leader i was i i wasn't it's the it's the mistakes that i made that actually i can bring to others i think it's really important it's the journey i've been to that i can bring to others uh and and actually generally people would say you did listen uh but we only worked it out six months later uh when you put something in um but what I came to realize actually is that often I wasn't listening or I made them feel cut off because my brain was moving. My brain does move very fast. And let's be really clear, it moves very fast. And so I was jumping and I was trying to get ahead to something. Whereas I've just started to, you know, and, and I've started to practice and it's amazing, especially, you know, I used to work, uh, run Utopia. You know, we had much younger people in our business. And actually, I've just written a post on LinkedIn about it, about the need for us to listen to that younger generation. We have to listen to Gen Z because they they are so connected and they have so much to bring us. But in staying quiet, those things that those ideas that I was having in my head actually started to come out from themselves. So all of a sudden, they, they, we're in a much better position for it to actually be delivered. And I think the thing, the quote that I use quite a lot and the question that I ask leaders is, are you listening to work out what to say next? Or are you listening to understand? Yeah, I mean, I I had my own journey of, of listening. We had Oscar Trimboli on this podcast who wrote the book, How to Listen. Uh, he is a fabulous man. He's got a quest, a ridiculous quest of trying to get 100 million deep listeners around the world. And and he he talks a lot about these sorts of things. I mean, I, I will do him a disservice in the time that we have today to try and get anywhere close to what Oscar talks about. But when you listen to him and you read his book, I mean, we're scratching at the service, many of us, of our ability to properly listen and what that enables us to do as a result, for sure. That's definitely a podcast I'm going to be listening to <laughs> the next week or so. Yeah. So He's incredible. He shares three numbers that will live with me forever, 125, 400, 900. And for me, when you understand what those three numbers mean, you see listening in a way you'll never see it again. So I, I love the idea of listening. But 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 what else? What other so, so, skills? So I would say the three that we focus on, and I do talk about listening, but we integrate it into what we're doing. So the three key skills, uh, and let me know which ones you want me to go into detail, are, are mm. culture, intelligence, empathy. And the one that people struggle with the most is vulnerability. Um, and when you say they struggle with it, Danielle, is that struggle with the act of vulnerability uh, struggle with understanding what that actually means um wh what is it what is it that they're struggling with the short so it depends it's so a lot of my work is not gendered right mm -hmm. it makes no difference you know culture intelligence isn't gendered at all you know it doesn't really make a difference uh, as you go into empathy i think there is a difference uh and again there are men that are far more empathetic than many women but actually generalizations exist for a reason generally men tend to struggle with empathy more than women uh, and actually in the training that i do um the kind of and again just generally where where 
women tend to come away from it is really better understand the difference between empathy and sympathy. So right. a lot of them have practiced, realize that actually in some of their conversations, they've actually used some of the words that sit under sympathy that aren't actually that helpful as mm. opposed to what empathy looks like. A lot of men, and I definitely fix it. I said this earlier, I'm a hacker. I, fi- I help like fix problems. So I only ever went to people to ask for support if I needed to fix a problem. Mm. So I assumed when they were coming to me, that they wanted me to fix it for them. What you realize is that people are very different. And often when they're coming to you, all they actually need is empathy. So they need someone just to give them that support, understand that you're there, feeling it with them, and just saying, it must be very hard right now. And actually, they're not even in the mindset to listen to any advice you're going to give them. But they certainly often they haven't asked for that advice. So, um, and so that was my key learning and stop trying to fix. And actually, even if I have issues, there'll be certain times you know, where you just it's just not the right thing to say anything, right, uh, to help try and fix. Uh, uh, but then you you might go, okay, I'll come back in two weeks and just say, you know, I, you know, if you still got that issue, um, I might have some. I might have some ways that you might think about. It, are you happy for me to share them? So even asking that permission to do it. But I think empathy is one that people do. Vulnerability is just comes back to the patriarchy and the work that I do, which is fundamentally, I initially came into this world 10 years ago saying exactly what everyone else is saying. I was saying, come and be better allies. Mm. And it was only through my own experiences, through my own experience of losing my brother, uh, understanding that my wife, um, I'm not going to read it now, but my wife, you know, wrote a piece uh, in this wonderful book here, which I'm just showing you, but she wrote a piece just before we got married and it talked about the time she felt close to me was when my brother died because actually she saw a vulnerability in me that she'd never seen before. And I reread that about six years ago and I started, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks simply because it just made me, think about why was it we, we'd been together for 10 years before we got before we got married why was it why, why did it take my brother dying mm. for her to see vulnerability in me and i yeah. can tell you if anyone ever said to me what the the three most vulnerable things you've ever done i would definitely say speaking speaking at my dad my brother's memorial uh doing my best man speech when he'd already passed and then the third most vulnerable was doing my brother's best man speech when he, when he had a brain tumor and I know everything he was going through. Uh, and at that point, I thought he was going to survive. I thought he was going to survive it, but you know he didn't. You know he passed away four years later. But those three things were the minute I can tell you now, having done my brother's speech and knowing how I felt about losing my brother, mm. asking my wife to marry me was I was wasn't the most vulnerable thing. But it wasn't long. I would say it probably took me about 15 minutes to dread getting married. Wow. Because I knew that speech was coming. Yeah. I mean, it really sat with me for a long time. Well, it still sits with you now. I no, no it does. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. It does. So so for me, and I've now told, I, and I didn't do it here. I didn't show that vulnerability here. But I've now done that. I've told the story, read it, read it out in front of stages of, of 300 people. And what? And what I do know is that whereas people think vulnerability is a weakness often, and that's what comes in in leadership, people think you know admitting you're wrong is a weakness. Um, what I and people will judge you for it, and often they do in the workplace. Let's be really clear. Mm-hmm. But I know, having done what I've done, no one judges me for it. You know, my my best man speech. I I literally cried for ten minutes, and I couldn't speak for ten minutes. And actually, what what 
the the and again this ties in with allyship. What actually helped me through it, and keep in mind that I I memorized my brother uh, my speech, my best man's speech. I knew it off by heart, but I just I knew something. I knew I took the notes with me because I've I've been there before, right? Um, it took my one of my best men to come and just put his hand on my shoulder for me to get that confidence to get that mm. that kind of energy to to finish and get all the way through um so so what so where where vulnerability really and and the, and, and because sometimes i use and actually again i'm going to be vulnerable now we 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 we're working with a client at the moment and we made a mistake we went we went too vulnerable too quickly Right. Okay, and that and that and that stopped the learning from some of the participants in terms of they just couldn't see one. It just became too much for them. But secondly, they couldn't see because it was related to my brother's losing my brother. They couldn't see how that related to the workplace, you know. But what was really interesting, and again, this is the first time I did this, and and I can tell you now, I was my I was shaking when I did this, and it just shows how you know I stood up on our second module and I opened it up by saying i'm sorry mm. we got elements of the past module wrong mm. thanks for your feedback uh this is what we're doing for f- the next participants and this is what we've done for you i've never really done that before uh and i came away and uh you know i, I listen i can't take only they can say whether well, they appreciated it the, the good news is we got across the board we got fantastic feedback scores for the Great. second module so Great. So, but for me, for me, the reason we also did that was because they said, "What does what does vulnerability look like in the workplace?" Yeah, and sometimes vulnerability is just saying you got it wrong. Yeah, I I, I do think it is audience specific, right? Because I would consider myself uh, reasonably comfortable with vulnerability. Um, Maybe, maybe in the degree of oversharing at times, right? But um, you learn your lessons. I, I do think it's audience specific because I think at sometimes those moments can be where you get the strongest connection and reaction, where someone relates and yeah. uh, appreciates. And and actually, I I always say on this podcast, I am not a social scientist. I am a social scientist enthusiast. I I, I love the whole idea of it. And I have this belief that unless we're psychos, pretty much humans are wired for connection. We are yeah. scanning out for connection. And I think vulnerability when it comes to leadership is one of those, to use the word from your book, I do believe it to be a bit of a superpower because I I, I think if you're one of those leaders that professes to have every, everything sorted, all the solutions, and you stand up and go, I've got it all covered, come with me, you're largely not going to drag people with you because we're all we're all smelling the fact that you don't need help. So we're going to go and look for the person who really needs our help. And yeah, that's I, it. Yeah, that's I, I, and I, I think that's the switch for vulnerability when it comes to leaders. If you show that you're looking for help, that you need help. And it's and to your point about, you know, conflating the idea of vulnerability with something else it's not about getting it's not about sharing everything no 100 it, 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 it's just about it's about opening up to stuff that's going to be helpful in that situation and, but, and i think that vulnerability is a huge thing about driving real connection with people to come help with a cause etc but i think i think you're i'm going to just pick up your opening up and just go back to how i probably started my conversation which mm. is mm. 
talking about gender differences. So yeah. going back to reading that and, and why that really woke me up to the, the, the damage that patriarchy does on men. So uh, Robert Webb talked about in his book, How to Be a Boy, uh, how, uh, how Not to Be a Boy. I can't remember. I think it was How Not to Be a Boy. But he said, um, when boys hear to stop showing those feelings enough times, they start hearing stop feeling those feelings. So if you look at uh, the best book, I think, around this space is The Will to Change by Bell Hooks, one wonderful woman. Uh, I wish I'd, I'd read her book before she, as we sadly lost her a couple of years ago. Um, but she talked about how men have become disconnected from their with their feelings, and so a lot of this vulnerability bit. If you're not if you're not if you're not able to express your feelings, you don't even know what those feelings are. You can't even name them. No. Um, how are you able to be vulnerable and show those feelings? So actually, if you look at the work that I do with men, and this comes from actually an insight, uh, it's partly an insight. My, my, my wife kept on saying to me, because you know she actually works at Utopia, um, my old business, but she she did a lot of work with their mental health. She's now the people uh, head of people. But she um, she kept on saying to me, I need to show you the feelings, Will, because she'd say, how am I doing? And she knew I was kind of struggling, but I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm okay. And, and you know, even I knew that not that I, when someone says I'm okay, you can never, you can never stop it at that point. You need to say, well, now how are you really feeling? You know, yeah. okay, well, it tends to mask something else. Um, but now, now most of the, most of the exercises, and actually, uh, I run something called Brave Spaces, which are free. So I do a lot of free stuff. So if anyone listening to this, you're a man and you want to get, uh, want to find opportunities to talk about stuff and become more comfortable, uncomfortable, please do go to the type in Token Man Brave Spaces, and you will you will find they'll come up on Eventbrite straight away. They're all free. Um, I open those up by actually showing the feelings wheel. And getting men to name how they're feeling first and foremost. And we know from psychology that even naming a feeling can reduce its impact by 30%. And so I get them to name their feeling, but then I then put them in pairs and I get them to actually sit with each other and actually explain to each other for four minutes each on, on why they're feeling that. And the person listening has to listen actively and be empathetic and not try to fix in any way and the feedback i get every time is it just blows people away uh i'm fascinated by that stuff that 30 percent thing my, my 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 wife's an holistic therapist amongst many great things that she does with with clients is emdr and that's all about calling out naming feelings and being in gaining control of those feelings and reducing them from the 10 whatever you're feeling today to to something else I'm, I'm a massive advocate of that sort of stuff because i've i've seen well if i'm honest i've felt the benefit of those sort of practices you know trying to properly understand what it is you're feeling how it how it affects you and then taking some element of control of that is a hugely empowering thing hugely empowering I, you've mentioned this word a few times, and I want us to, to dig into it: allyship, right? Because there's loads of terms flying around in the in 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 the world at the moment. But allyship, I'm interested. I'm interested in a, in a couple of pieces, really, and and one again. I read a post of yours recently, your hard of nails. Uh, post which i loved hugely positive backed up the conversation that we had but also came with a real watch out at the end when it talked about performative allyship which for me was a completely new 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 phrase i hadn't really thought about that 
But when you're thinking about allyship going forward, what does it mean to you? How do you see it evolving or how does it need to evolve to really become a force for good in this landscape that we've started to discuss today? Okay, so a few things. So firstly, hopefully everyone knows what is seen as allyship. So the definition fundamentally on the dictionary is helping people different to you that come from historically marginalised groups. So mm. there's a, uh, do look it up, uh, equality versus equity, baseball, uh, just showing, and I use the height as an analogy for privilege and actually the boxes for support. Okay. So allyship is giving those boxes to others, yeah, and understanding that they need support. Mm. Um, and what 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 has what what has happened is there's been a bit, bit of a backlash. So the second thing to say is I can't I I might listen. We make mistakes, we slip up, but I try not to call myself an ally. I try to do my best to be a better ally, but only others can call me an ally. So uh, and I need to check my LinkedIn. You know, if I uh, but I do see people writing ally on their LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, no, no. I you know, I, it's like I will put. I, I'm hopefully I put that. You know, I'm list. I, I was one of top. Uh, top 50 gender equality champions in the UK two years ago. That for me is much more important because someone's telling me that what I'm doing is making a difference. Yeah, And, and actually that comes into what I think is, and again, my definition of allyship uh, is, uh, and I used to, and it's changed. So I'm going to talk about it's changed and how, how I'm hoping to change it even further. So how it's changed in my head. So going back to, I used to sit on a board. You can work out what the board is if you, you want to go deeply on my LinkedIn. But I used to sit on a board and... I used to watch as the only woman on that board got talked over time and time again. So I used to say, I'm going to change her name for uh, when that guy had finished, I said, Jane, you were saying, yeah, which is just, just a way of just bringing it back mm-hmm. in. I used to think that's allyship. That's not allyship. That's just being a good leader. That's, just, that's polite. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and so I think I think we need to get that kind of we need to get that out of the way and understand that that's just politeness. Uh, so allyship is making sure that, um, and I don't do I don't do it always. I don't get it always right, you know. But it's making sure that someone in your team who's trans is knowing that. Uh, if, trans, if something significant has happened in the news, which unfortunately does happen quite often in terms of trans here in the UK, uh, is you, you know that they're probably suffering and knowing to go and give them that support. And that person will go, okay, you're being a great ally. But although you can start saying that that's being a good human being, hmm. um, where and I don't think that that's definitely not performative. So performative is um, performative is putting a black square on uh, to, com- to com- com- commemorate the, you know, the murder of George Floyd or to support Black Lives Matter. That's performative. Because if you're not doing anything to change the system or support Black people, you're being performative. Yeah. Um, where I like to posit allyship is if you're not making change, you're not an ally. Okay, And, I, and that can become quite confusing because I, I have this kind of model, which is allies than agents of change. I think agents of change are people that are dedicated to actually just doing something big and actually making that really different so mm. so i like to consider myself an agent of change because i've done quite a few things that have been quite significant the, the key one being token man right that that is put is there as a platform to create um systemic change fundamentally and that's an agent of change i think an ally is someone that understands the system is broken and is actually work, always working to work out how they can fix it so supporting those people but also working out how they can fix that system 
Well, you also asked where I want it to go. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently because, uh, you know, I'm hearing men go, I'm not, I'm not an ally because I don't do these big things or I think it needs to be really big. Sure. But also, you know, this, this, it tends to be that the only people that are, uh, are targeted with, are you being a better ally tends to be the white straight men. And so what I would like to do is actually start to redefine allyship as being a better ally to everyone. So, because I think men could do a lot of, well, I think we will massively help create change if men become better allies to other men. If women become better allies to those men who are struggling, let's be really clear, those men are struggling. And let's be really clear of that equity piece. So it's it's recognising that actually we're not going to put all, I'm not saying men need all the support right now and and their houses are burning. That that isn't what I'm saying. What I'm saying is everyone needs support and you need to understand who you need to give that support to. And sometimes a woman might be in a really privileged position and actually she might have someone in her life actually who's a man and it might be a wife who's really struggling right now, it might be in the mental health, and actually allyship will be supporting them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason if we look at we look at I'm a feminist, that's you know, I'm a feminist, but feminism's criticism in the past has been that actually with feminism often was white feminism. And so what that's why the term intersectionality came in to so to really understand that actually. If you're, uh, if you have those intersections, your barriers to being included increase significantly, and so understanding those intersections are really, really important. But right now, and I, and I haven't got all the terminology right, but uh, and ultimately, let's be really clear: the reason I want to change it to allies for everyone is fundamentally because I want to get more men to become allies. Yeah. That is my end game. My end game is always to create a more inclusive, equitable, accessible, and uh, diverse workplaces, which will lead to better societies, right? I have no doubt that workplaces have a view to those societies. So sometimes when people see me just supporting men, that's still my end goal, because I know I know how that's going to get us on that journey and people on different parts of that journey. And, and you know, as you were speaking there, I'm thinking back to that 53% stat, is that you know, what you're talking about there is the solution to getting under the skin of what, why the 53% feel, think yeah. like they yeah. do. And is that an education thing? Is that a bias thing? Whatever that is, we need to move on from there and, and, and find some decent solutions going forward. And if I'm listen, if I'm honest, I'm making a I'm making a educated guess here. I don't have that data, right? I would love to know that fifty three percent exactly what it is. Mm. I would love if there was a magic bullet, but I also I do know people and I do know feelings, and I can understand why, from their perspective, they might be feeling as they're feeling. Yeah. And so I have to find different ways to get them involved. You know, and I talked about brave spaces. I I have one in next week. Uh, we have twelve spaces. I've got six people signed up. I'm I'm not even scratching the surface, right? Yeah. And, you know, for me, for me, I have this real challenge right now, which is you now even my LinkedIn. You know, you just need to look at my LinkedIn likes. Uh, uh, they're mainly women. You know, my job as token man is is really to engage with men, uh, and it's, it's really challenging. <laughs> it's really tough. Oh. I wish. I wish someone had the answers because then we could all copy them and actually start to move on. Well, if I can metaphorically put my hand on your shoulder to give you a reassuring kind of pat or a grip, I think the thing about all that LinkedIn stuff is particularly is that I'm I'm always staggered in the relationship or 
uncorrelated or correlated i can't even remember what i'm trying to think about in my brain link between likes and reactions that you get and who's actually watching and reading because the number of times i get people contact me out the blue and start talking about stuff that they've seen me do on linkedin and I, they have never reacted commented interesting. or anything else. interesting i don't i never really i never really there's I loads of really, watchers yeah. mate. there's loads yeah. of watchers so don't you worry about the likes and everything else you yeah. carry on doing what you're doing now, and, and actually and actually just just pick up because you started you know coming back to the performative so it, people can't see this but do look at the post on we'll LinkedIn. take a pic we'll take a picture. yeah is i i i you know i painted my nails uh because of a friend who came up with an idea which we're starting to work on. It's starting to get real legs, actually. An idea to get men to uh, use use the opportunity to get more men to paint their nails, to think about masculinity uh, and the changing nature of that, to think about mental health. Actually, now having nails is a relaxing time to really think, but also to talk about gender fluidity. So it, it has a number of things. And what I was saying in that post is I'm not just doing this as, you know, I'm painting my nails, that makes me an ally. I'm doing it for the conversations and what will happen off the back of it. And so I'm hoping to take that, 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 Whatever campaign will do will will be about saying, okay, how what does it do for you? How do you feel as a result of doing it? And actually, what are the conversations you're opening up as a result of doing it? And I've had I've had some wonderful conversations. Not least, and probably my favourite thing that I didn't think I would get is I'm now able. I had a conversation with both my niece and my uh, one of my godchildren, who not only could I talk about nails in a way that I never talked to them before, but I now know I have an activity to do with them next time, which we can go and do together. And that's just priceless. Brilliant. Well, sign me up for that campaign, my friend. I'm right. I'm right there with you. Sometimes it can feel like, you know, doing the right thing can end up making you look like you're doing the wrong thing for some, for some reason. It's a confusing world out there, but I feel like in the brief time that we've had to chat that I feel a bit calmer about stuff and I feel like I have a different perspective to take on board or so awesome some some nice kinship in some areas as well which is which is fantastic. I have this bit in the show though Danielle where I'm I'm asking you to summarize sort of some key bits of advice my friend. I call it sticky notes. I'm looking for three pieces of advice that my guests can take away that could fit on three little post-it notes that for in this case kind of summarize if someone wants to become a more inclusive leader, what are the three bits of advice you would give them? And I'll tell you, I love this brief because I do, I do do quite a few podcasts, and I always find it quite difficult to have to share them on something like LinkedIn because you know we have the same. Com- I do have the same conversations time and time again, and you know, it, uh, and people say. Don't you need different conversations? Like, no, because you're actually different audiences. Yes. But the, I'm all. I will take a photo of these three post-it notes, and that will be my post. That I will share this with. Brilliant. Um, so uh, I've got three posts, and they are written on post-it notes. So I, love I, that. I, I love made that. sure. So spend more time with people, people different to you. Listen and learn, then unlearn and relearn. Is nice. the first one. Nice. And I think that different to you. There's ways that you can do that. So reverse mentoring is one way we 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 do in the workplace. I'm actually I've just volunteered, uh, and I saw the person that set it up, and he said I am in. Uh, but I've just volunteered to be a mentor at a youth club. Uh, that's the first time I'm doing that. But also there are so many conferences, so disability conferences, uh, neurodiversity conferences. Uh, uh, the Black Experience Conferences, you know, go to one of those conferences and feel like what it's like me being the out group. The second one we've already talked about, but I just wanted to bring it back in, which is build your culture intelligence, embrace empathy and be more vulnerable. Nice. 
And the third one is find ways to become more comfortable with being uncomfortable. So that so that means having these conversations. Uh, it means coming to our brave spaces, uh, and it means bringing creating your own brave spaces within your own uh, life and within your own um, workforce. Fantastic! I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you, Danielle. Um, you've dropped a load of books as well to stick in the show notes. If people want to find out a bit more about you, get in touch. What's what's the best way to get in touch and find you? A LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn or, and and or go to the tokenman.org website and actually sign up to the newsletter. Uh, at the moment, I am I have it on my plan to redesign, but LinkedIn, I think uh, I'm actually on, uh, and I'm going to give them a shout out because I think it's so good. I went to the Do Lectures uh, microblogs course two two weeks ago. And I think that's why I've got quite a lot of energy this year because I'm on a hundred day challenge. So a hundred a uh, hundred days uh, a LinkedIn post every day, and it's just so I'm actually posting and sharing quite a lot in terms of what I'm thinking. I think it's kind of time for me to share some of that stuff and sometimes get it wrong. I mean, that's the other thing. Uh, sometimes get it wrong. You just got to show up, mate. Just keep showing up. Listen, I've really enjoyed meeting you. I've really enjoyed listening to you. I hope that's not our final conversation ever. So um, thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the message, my friend. Thank you. Have a great evening. Okay, take care. Bye. Okay, everyone. That was Danielle Fiendaka. If you'd like to find out a bit more about him or any of the topics that we've talked about today, please go ahead and check out the show notes. So, that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.